Well, this morning we're continuing a, a short topical study that we began two weeks ago, a summary study that is centered on laying down a basic understanding from God's Word concerning the person and work of the Holy Spirit. And this is important study for us as a church, no matter which way you look at it. You could look at this in terms of the importance of the study first because of all the confusion and error that surrounds this topic. And as I've made clear through those three personal studies I opened with two weeks ago, there is a lot of confusion and error out there. But for the sake of this series, and really for the sake of this morning's study, I'd like us to see the importance of studying the person and the work of the Holy Spirit because of all the beauty and truth that surrounds this topic. We're studying, we get to study the person of God and His wondrous works. The wonder of His ways. And when it comes to the Holy Spirit, it can't get any more personal. Two weeks ago, when we studied the person and when we studied the person of the Holy Spirit and who He is, we saw that the Holy Spirit is fully God. He is fully God. Co-equal to the Father and the Son. And that He is a personal God at that, expressing full range of His divine intelligence, will, and emotion to us. The Holy Spirit is the proof that we can indeed have a living, breathing, intimate, and ongoing relationship with God Himself. And then last week when we considered what the Holy Spirit has done in the past during the revelation of the Old Testament, the anointed Christ in the New Testament, we learned from the Spirit's past actions that, the, that God's disposition towards us who are in Christ is that of love. Is that of love. He loves us so much that He gave us physical life. He loves us so much that He held back, held us back from pursuing our destructive desires. He loves us so much that He revealed Himself to us in His Word. And He loves us so much that He gave us His only begotten Son, so that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. And ultimately, He loves us so much that through the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, He gives us Himself. He gives us Himself. Thus being able to demonstrate His love towards us, not just for a time, but for all eternity. By showering upon us through His Spirit, Christ's own divine love, understanding, strength, obedience, virtue, boldness, and assurance. I mean, this is glorious when you think about it. And we're just getting started because having considered the questions, who is He and what has He done? In the past, we now direct our attention to the next question concerning the person and work of the Holy Spirit, and that is, what is He doing in the present, right now, today? And I'm excited for today's study. Psalms 111, verse 2 says this, Great are the works of the Lord, studied by all who delight in them. Can I just say that that verse means that we ought to be studying the Holy Spirit's work because... We who are united to Christ by faith delight in the work of the Holy Spirit every single day. For while God the Son, or excuse me, while God the Father oversaw our redemption and God the Son accomplished it, it is God the Holy Spirit who applies our redemption to us, thus making it real and experiential. Quite literally, all of the freedoms and fulfillments that we talked about throughout our study of the book of Colossians that we are called on to embrace and to appreciate and to set our minds on and to walk in all those things that are ours in Christ. All that freedom and fulfillment, purpose and peace and power for living, all of that is the work of the Holy Spirit. And so this great salvation, which we delight in, is applied 
to us through the Holy Spirit who's been given to us. And so we ought to study his work. And that's exactly what we're going to do this morning. We're going to study the work of the Holy Spirit, what he's doing right now in the present. And we'll consider this from two angles this morning. We're going to consider briefly first, what is the Holy Spirit doing today in the world? That's the first point. And then the second point is we're going to begin to ask ourselves the question, what is he doing today in believers? In believers. So what is the Holy Spirit doing today in the world? And then what is the Holy Spirit doing today in believers? That's what we'll look at today. But before we dive in any further today, let's ask the Lord to revive us today according to his word. Let's let's pray. Father, we thank you that we can come to you at this time and ask that you would give us the grace and help that we need. Father, we understand that these are spiritual truths that we are going to be looking at this morning and they can only be understood by your spirit. So, Father, I pray that you would open our understanding to know your holy word. And I pray that you would reveal to our souls the counsels and work of the Holy Spirit. Help us to catch a glimpse, a fresh vision of what he is doing in the world and in us today. And in light of that, delight in it. And give you the glory and all the honor for what you alone can do. Give us grace towards this end. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So the first thing we need to consider when regarding the Holy Spirit's work today is first, what is he doing in the world? What is he doing in the world? And the answer is the Holy Spirit is doing two very important things. First, He is convicting the world. He is convicting the world. Jesus states this directly in John chapter 16, verses 8 through 11. Here Jesus is telling his disciples that he'll send the Holy Spirit to them after he returns to the Father. And he says in verse 8 of John chapter 16, when he, that is when the Holy Spirit comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. In other words, it is the Holy Spirit's job to impress upon the unsaved world a correct understanding and a deep awareness of three realities that pervade our moral universe, which our moral God created. Those realities are sin, righteousness, and judgment. The Holy Spirit convicts and convinces the world of those three realities. And then Jesus explains what he means in John chapter 16. He says in John 16 verse 9, concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. In other words, the Holy Spirit convicts the unsaved concerning the true nature of sin. He impresses upon their consciences the conviction that sin is not merely a mistake or a moral construct of our world. It is a state of settled rebellion against God that ultimately refuses to surrender to Christ's saving sovereignty. That is sin. That ultimately refuses to come to the one who died to make payment for the forgiveness of our sins. John 3.18 says, Whoever believes in him is not condemned But whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. This is the great sin. 
It is to refuse to believe in Him whom God has sent. And the Holy Spirit works to impress this reality upon people's hearts. He convicts the world regarding sin. Second, he says in verse 10, concerning righteousness. Because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer. In other words, when Christ was on earth, what was he? He was the premier example of God's divine righteousness, wasn't he? I mean, he was able to show people what true righteousness was, and he was able to convince people that they didn't have it, but that he did. Jesus says here, the Holy Spirit has taken over that work. In other words, the Holy Spirit is the one who shows people what true righteousness is, not ultimately by pointing to us, praise the Lord, but by pointing to Christ in his word. And the Holy Spirit convinces people that they do not have the righteousness that is required to enter into heaven and eternal life, but that Jesus Christ does have that perfect righteousness. The only righteousness that can save you is the righteousness that belongs only to Jesus Christ. And that very righteousness of God can be received as a gift through faith in Christ Jesus So the Holy Spirit takes over Christ's job of teaching the nature of true righteousness of the world. He convinces the world of sin and of righteousness. Verse 11, concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. In other words, if you doubt whether every sin will be judged by God someday, consider the cross. It becomes clear when you see that sin and its great perpetrator, Satan, has already been judged at the cross. As Genesis 3.15 says, though Christ has been bruised, Satan has already been crushed. As Colossians 2.15 says, through his death on the cross, Jesus disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. And so here's Jesus' point in John 16.11. If the very weakness of God crushed the most powerful force for evil in this universe, what do you think is going to happen when he comes in great power and glory? And you still be found in your sin in that day. You will be judged. As Hebrews 2 verse 3 cries out, how will you escape if you neglect so great a salvation? Final judgment is coming to this world. Because even the ruler of this world stands judged. Therefore, all of us must consider, when you stand before God in that day, will you stand before God in your sin? Or will you stand before God in the righteousness of Jesus Christ? The Holy Spirit impresses that reality into unbelieving hearts. If you have not done so today, I want to call on you, hear the Savior's voice and live. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and be saved. For there is no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. So this is the first thing that the Holy Spirit is doing in the world today, and it is essential. He is convicting the world, convincing the world, impressing upon the world the reality of sin, the reality of righteousness, and the reality of judgment. He does this primarily by the power of His Word through the preaching of His people. And so take heart. When you're dealing with the most hardened heart you could imagine in this world and you're trying to reach them 
for Jesus Christ. You are not alone. It's not left up to your own arguments or your own ambitions or your own logic to win them to Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit has come behind you and he is working through your deliverance of the word to convict their hearts regarding sin and righteousness and judgment. You've got God working through you for the reconciliation of their souls. And so this is what the Holy Spirit is doing. You can testify for Christ because he's convicting the world. It's what he does. It's what he's doing. He's convicting the world. Second, he's restraining the world. He's restraining the world. And this should be a familiar concept for us. This should be a familiar concept for us. We learned last week from Genesis 6 verse 3 that the Holy Spirit restrained mankind's propensity towards evil in the past. Well, the Holy Spirit continues this work into the present, and this restraining ministry is implied over in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 6-7. through 7. Here, Paul is talking about certain events that will happen before the great and final day of the Lord comes, and he says in verse 2 that the rebellion must come first, and the man of lawlessness must be revealed, and then Paul clarifies in verse 7, for the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Only he who now restrains it will do so until he is out of the way. Now what Paul is teaching here is that there is a law, that is there is a principle or a power of lawlessness at work in this world, a power of lawlessness that will culminate someday in a person of lawlessness who will embody with perfect satanic character mankind's rebellion against their creator. He will be the incarnation, if you will, of all of man's sinful pride, sinful unrighteousness, and sinful rebellion against God. And Paul clarifies in verse 7 of First Thessalonians or Second Thessalonians chapter 2 that this focused exertion towards spiritual rebellion and sin is already at work in this world. As Ephesians 2.2 says, the whole world is following after, is marching as one after the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work, and the sons of disobedience. This is what the news headlines are showing us. As 1 John 5.19 says, the whole world lies in the lap in the power of the evil one. Satan is tirelessly at work in this world to focus all of mankind towards a unified exertion of rebellion against God as he longs for that day when that person of lawlessness will be revealed. And so there is a principle and a power of lawlessness already at work in this world, a focused exertion towards unified spiritual rebellion against God. As Ephesians 6, 12 says, we're not wrestling against flesh and blood, are we? But against rulers and authorities, against cosmic powers over this present darkness, against spiritual forces in the heavenly places. So there is a focused exertion towards a unified spiritual rebellion in the world today. There is a military campaign being waged against the rule of God and the people of God. Make no mistake. But Paul states it is currently being restrained and held back by a person. He says, he who now restrains it will do so until he is out of the way. So who is that person that restrains the wickedness of the world? Well, knowing how his ministry is described even in the Old Testament of contending with the wickedness of man as we saw in Genesis chapter 6, the obvious answer is the Holy Spirit. Through his regenerating and indwelling work within God's people, there is, uh, through God's people, the Holy Spirit restrains evil and he thwarts 
Satan's activities as he works in us to be both salt and light. Now that restraining influence won't always be present in this world, and there is a time when God will take that away. And then verse 8, sis, uh, eight, verse eight of 1 Thessalonians 2 says, The lawless one will be revealed, whom the Lord Jesus will kill by the breath of his mouth and bring to nothing by the appearance of his coming. But until that appointed day, we can take heart in this, that there is one almighty, omnipotent person restraining the restless depravity and lawlessness of man, and that is the Holy Spirit. He is restraining the world. You think it's bad now. Wait till he removes that restraining influence. So what is the Holy Spirit doing in the world? Very simply, he's convicting the unredeemed world, and he's restraining the world in regards to its wickedness. But I'd like to really focus on this morning is concerning what the Holy Spirit is doing today in believers. In believers. In other words, what is the Holy Spirit doing right now in you and in I who have been appointed unto eternal life to believe? Well, the following points are far from exhaustive since every aspect of our spiritual life is of the Holy Spirit and by the Holy Spirit. However, there, here are four primary ways that I would categorize the Spirit's work in the redeemed. First, he is applying Christ's salvation. That's first. He's applying Christ's salvation. Second, he's teaching Christ's word. Third, he's imparting Christ's life. And then fourth, he is giving Christ's gifts. So for the sake of this morning's message, though, we're just going to look at that first work. The first and most fundamental way that the Holy Spirit works in those who are appointed unto eternal life to believe is he is first applying Christ's salvation. And the Holy Spirit applies the salvation that Christ has accomplished for us in the following four ways, all at the very moment of our regeneration and new birth and salvation. First, the Holy Spirit regenerates believers that's the first way he applies Christ's salvation to us he regenerates believers regeneration literally means in the greek recreation or rebirth and this new birth occurs by the holy spirit when we are brought who are dead in our trespasses and sins alive together in christ right this happens by the holy spirit in john 3 verse 5 Jesus makes this very clear to Nicodemus when he says, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and of the Spirit, you cannot see the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God. He cannot enter it. When Jesus mentions there to Nicodemus the water and the Spirit, he was giving, he was giving Nicodemus a clue of what he was talking about. He was referencing back to Ezekiel 36. Verses 25 through 27, where God describes the new covenant, the new relationship with him that would be established by the coming of the Messiah, Jesus Christ. There in Ezekiel, God said, I will sprinkle clean water on you. I will cleanse you. And I will give you a new heart. And I will put my spirit within you as we read this morning. This imagery of the Holy Spirit's cleansing regeneration is also used in Titus 3.5 where it tells us that God saved us not because of the works done by us in righteousness but because of his own mercy by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit. See, Scripture is clear 
Spiritually hard and stony hearts are made alive and they are made responsive to God through the regenerative act of the Holy Spirit. For any person to come to Christ, a miracle must first be done in them by the power of the Spirit according to His merciful will. For apart from the Holy Spirit's regenerative act, we would be dead, hardened, uncaring, unbelieving, and apathetic to the things of God. But the Holy Spirit comes and he who hovers over the face of the deep to give physical life to all things in Genesis is the same one who imparts spiritual life to all God's people as well. Regeneration is the work of the Holy Spirit. The very moment of salvation, the Holy Spirit cleanses us and gives us new life, a new beginning, a new heart. And everything else happens after that. He produces in us such a radical change of being that produces a radical change of living that can only be called being born again. So the Holy Spirit regenerates believers. He gives them new spiritual life. See, your problem, if you haven't trusted in Christ this morning, your problem is not that you sin. (laughs) It's that you are a sinner. The problem is not what you're doing. What you're doing simply shows you what you are. You must be born again. And only God can bring you life. Only the author of life can give you life. And so if you are here this morning, recognizing that sin still holds dread sway and power over your life, there's only one person who can rescue you. God, cry out to him if you hear the Spirit's voice and ask for new life. And even that is a work of the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit regenerates believers. He gives them new spiritual life. And not only that, but the Holy Spirit at the very moment of salvation, he also indwells believers. It's not like he says, hey, here's new life, now good luck. Right? He comes and accompanies us on this journey of new life. And we looked at that at the end of last week in John 14, 17. I don't need to go into it as much as I did last week. John 14, 17, Jesus promised his disciples that the Holy Spirit had thus far only been with them, would soon be in them. And sure enough, on the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit took up this indwelling ministry in all believers. 1 Corinthians 3, 16 tells us that if you've accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior, God's Spirit dwells in you. He's made his permanent home in you. You never go anywhere without God's Spirit accompanying you. Romans 8.11 says the, whole, the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus Christ from the dead dwells in you. He wants to communicate the power that accompanies the presence of the Holy Spirit. How much power does it take to cause a dead man to come to life? Infinite power. How much power dwells in you to live for the glory of Christ right now? Infinite power by the Spirit. And as we saw last week, when he comes to dwell in you, he begins to grow within you Christ's own divine love, understanding, strength, obedience, virtue, boldness, and assurance. As Philippians 1.6 says, he began a good work. How? In you. In you. 
This is the fruit of the Spirit's indwelling presence, and it'll never be taken away, by the way. John 14, verse 16 says this, that once the Holy Spirit is given to you, He will be with you, listen to this, forever. Think of that for a moment. There is no such thing as losing your salvation. Right? The Holy Spirit wasn't given to you so that while you're walking on earth, you'd have the power that you need, and then you get to heaven and He's gone. Right? That's not what it says here. There's no such thing as losing your salvation of the Holy Spirit indwelling you and then getting you so disgusted at your life that he then leaves you. That's not what's talked about here, right? Once he comes to dwell within you, he will be with you for how long? What does it say? What does scripture say? Forever. Forever. Praise God. That is because not only does the Holy Spirit regenerate and indwell believers at the moment of salvation, he also, third, seals believers. He seals them. So this comes from Ephesians chapter 1, verses 13 through 14, where Paul writes there, when you heard the word of truth, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, that is, believed in Christ, in that moment you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who, listen to this, is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it. So so at the very moment of your salvation, You were in God's sight, it says, sealed with the Holy Spirit. 2 Corinthians chapter 1 verse 22 also says it is God who has, here it is, put his seal on us, past tense, by giving us his spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. So God, in speaking to the Ephesians and in speaking to the Corinthians, uses the exact same illustration of sealing and of guaranteeing. Why is that? Well, you see, for both the Corinthian and Ephesian believers, this picture of of a seal and of a guarantee would have been very familiar, familiar to them because both of those cities, Ephesus and Corinth, were major seaports and centers for the ancient logging industry. And when a lumber merchant would come to town after selecting the piece of timber that he wanted to buy, he would then cut a unique merchant seal or symbol into the purchased lumber. Almost what we imagine cowboys with their brand, right? The merchant would do that. He would brand his lumber in a sense in order to signify his purchase and his ownership of that timber. And then oftentimes this merchant would have to leave, sometimes for a night, sometimes longer, And during that time when the owner was away, the owner's seal made it clear to everyone there who it was who had purchased the timber and to whom the timber belonged. The seal was a guarantee that the owner was coming back to lay claim of that which was his own. Right? That is the Holy Spirit in the life of believers. He is the indwelling guarantee that we who have been purchased by Christ's blood, who have been claimed as God's own possession, that we are waiting for the day when he returns for us because we belong to him. We've been sealed by the Holy Spirit as a guarantee. As Ephesians 4.30 says, we do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom we've been sealed for the day of redemption for the day when he comes back for you. He is coming to take us to himself, that where he is, we may be also. John fourteen three. Now why? Because the Holy Spirit, in applying Christ's salvation to us, regenerates, indwells, seals, 
And finally, the Holy Spirit baptizes, baptizes believers. 1 Corinthians 12.13 says this, By one Spirit, we are all baptized into one body, that is, the body of Christ. See, at the moment of salvation, the Holy Spirit makes us a member of the body of Christ. We are brought into a saving relationship with Jesus Christ by being spiritually immersed into Him. As Galatians 3.27 says, we were baptized into Christ Jesus. And this is important to understand. See, the expression of being baptized by the Holy Spirit is an expression that probably most of you have heard in one way, shape, or form in your lifetime. But the expression of being baptized by the Spirit is not the Spirit bringing us into Himself. It is the Spirit bringing us into the person of Christ. This baptism by the Holy Spirit was predicted by Jesus in John 14, 20, when he said this, On that day when the Spirit comes, you will know that I am in my Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. See, this is what the baptism of the Holy Spirit is. It is being baptized into Christ at the very moment of our salvation. And it is this baptism that's described in Romans chapter 6, verses 3 through 5. Here Paul writes in Romans chapter 6, verses 3 through 5, he says, Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into who? Christ Jesus were baptized into his death. We were buried therefore with him by baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in a newness of life. For if we have been united with who, with Christ in a death like his, then we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. See, this is what the baptism of the Holy Spirit is. The Holy Spirit baptizes, immerses, drowns us in Christ, thereby uniting us with him as closely as two trees that have grown together and become one, two lives becoming one and inseparable. It is the Holy Spirit that performs that miraculous baptism and unites us with our perfect Savior, Jesus Christ. This is why it doesn't make any sense. And I try to say this as kindly as possible. But it doesn't make any sense and it is frankly unbiblical when certain people pray for a second wave of the Holy Spirit or a second baptism of the Holy Spirit. When people talk like that, it might be helpful to ask them, you want to be taken out of Christ and then put back into Him again? You want to lose your salvation and then regain it? What are you talking about? Because whatever it is, it's not the baptism of the Holy Spirit as described in Scripture. Because according to the pages of Scripture alone, which is our authority, that happens once at the moment of salvation, when by God's grace you accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior and become one with Him forever. That's the only baptism that there is. As Ephesians 4, 4-6 through 6 says, There is one body and one spirit, one hope, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all. 
Ladies and gentlemen, there's only one spiritual baptism, and it happens once for all at that gloriously transforming moment when the Holy Spirit applies to us Christ's great salvation. See, the baptism of the Holy Spirit has absolutely nothing to do with receiving a mystical experience like a tingling or a vibration or a tongue. It has everything to do with being united by faith to the supreme and sufficient one, Jesus Christ above all. This is what the Holy Spirit is doing today. And it is wondrous in our eyes. He is making those who are dead in their trespasses and sins alive together in Christ Jesus, even as he brought Jesus Christ himself back from the dead. He is by his omnipotent life-giving power convicting the lost and applying Christ's great salvation to dead and to dying souls. This is what the Holy Spirit is doing in applying Christ's salvation. The Holy Spirit is regenerating, indwelling, sealing, and baptizing a people for God's own possession who are zealous to do good works and no longer blaspheme his name as Ezekiel said, but live lives that give glory to him above all. that's the miracle that's the miracle the Holy Spirit does it all so I have two questions for you this morning based on all this first have you experienced this miraculous work of the Holy Spirit Has Jesus' saving work been applied to your life? See, in the Passover, if you remember that story, it didn't matter whether a lamb's blood had been spilt. The blood must be applied to the doorposts. Christ has died. He has offered up an atonement for sin. Has His sacrifice been applied to you? Have you experienced this work of the Holy Spirit? Do you recognize this morning that you are a sinner that stands in need of Christ's righteousness and that if you do not believe in Him, you will stand before God in judgment someday? Do you feel that surety in your hearts this moment? Then I urge you this morning, do not harden your hearts. We just learned that is the Holy Spirit at work within you. Run to Christ and to the mercy that He offers and call upon Him in faith to save you right where you are. And He will. He will. It's the work He does. Everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord, Scripture says, shall be saved and will be born again, indwelt, sealed, and baptized into Jesus Christ's saving person and work forever. So that's the first question. Have you experienced this work of the Holy Spirit? This miracle? Second, if you have, I want you to consider this morning everything that we've just talked about. Regenerating, indwelling, sealing, baptizing. In short, applying Christ's salvation to us is all the work of the Holy Spirit, is it not? He's the one who made us alive. Did you have a part in that? Answer? No, No, thank you. He's the one who began a good work in us. Did you have a part in that? He's the one who seals us from the promised day of redemption. Do you have a part in that? He's the one who has plunged us into and united us with our risen Savior. Did you have a part in that? The Holy Spirit has done it all. 
The beginning of your entire spiritual life, ladies and gentlemen, was a result of the Holy Spirit's work. So now consider, having begun in the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? The answer is no. If the Holy Spirit plays such a vital role in the beginning of our salvation, you can be sure that he plays a vital role afterwards as well. And that's exactly what we'll see starting next week. As we consider how the Holy Spirit today is teaching Christ's word, imparting Christ's life, and giving Christ's gifts. But for now, consider, believers, if not one element of your salvation could not be accomplished for the glory of God without total reliance on the Holy Spirit's work, then how can one element of this coming week that you're about to face be accomplished for the glory of God without total reliance on the Holy Spirit's work as well? You stand in as much need of the Holy Spirit's work today at the very moment when you were dead in your trespasses and sins. You need Him to work in you to both will and do of His good pleasure. We are daily dependent on the Spirit's work, for we are the work of the Spirit. So let us reflect that this week in our living and in our praying, as Jude one twenty says. But you, beloved, building yourselves up in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that ushers us into eternal life. See, this is what the Holy Spirit is doing. He is applying Christ's great salvation. And this is the word of God which I now commit to your further study and your faithful obedience until he who has sealed us as his own returns. Let's pray. Father, there are so many glorious truths that we have just looked at. But above them all reigns this supreme the wonder of wonders that despite any work or merit of our own, we are yours and you are ours. We thank you that by your mercy and grace you took us who were running in rebellion against you hating you and hating one another. And you came and you worked a miracle in our life. You regenerated us. You indwelt us. You sealed us for a promised day of redemption. And you immersed us into the perfect work and person of your son, Jesus Christ. So Father, I pray that we would We who have begun in the Spirit, help us not to think that perfection is achieved, that sanctification is achieved, that becoming more holy and more Christ-like is achieved by our own efforts. Help us every single day to pray in the Holy Spirit that we might be built up to walk in a way that is worthy of our calling. And Father, may we testify of the miracle that the Holy Spirit is doing in this world today by our words and by our actions. And Father, use us this week to share your word to those that are lost, 
so that they might feel the conviction of the Holy Spirit and run to Christ that his salvation might be applied. Use us, we pray, by your grace and mercy, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.